Hello, Next Geners. Welcome to our Monday review show. Damien Ratcliffe here, Chief Racing Reporter at The Age, joined every show by our data guru, Hayden Byrne from Daily Sectionals. Hayden, incentivize. What did you make of the performance? Um, visually, it was outstanding. It was, wasn't it? We had the thought process in our minds that we might have been seeing the second coming of Bite and Power, and he certainly turned it on, didn't he? He was... Um, very brave. He looked like he was in a little bit of trouble on the corner. And I think Preble might have been whispering sweet nothings into his ear going, come on, big fella, just get me around so we can uh, take off. The Ma used to train person. I didn't think he was going to go away for a second there. And I thought he was going to make it a real two-horse war. But the good horse stood up in the end and on to the Melbourne Cup he goes. Yeah, you can always get a bit too cute when you get a horse like that who becomes favourite and then he's two bucks and you try to take him on a bit. But I think we've been saying all prep that we thought he'd be best at 2,400 when he got out to that trip. I think he surprised us with the way he won the 1,600 Maccabi Diva and then, you know, held on um, in the Turnbull Stakes. But, geez, he he certainly peaked in his um, – if that was his grand final, he certainly peaked. And now we'll see if he can peak again in a Melbourne Cup. He was penalised today one and a half kilos, which takes him to 57. Puts him on equal weights with Spanish Mission, who I think you've got a, a bit of an opinion of. He ran second to Stradivarius, and that's the form that obviously stands out on his CV. I think he's only won. I'm not sure if he's a Group 1 winner yet. If he is, he's only won one. Obviously, incentivizes won three in a row now. The top weight in the Melbourne Cup will be last, year, last year's winner, Twilight Payment, on 58 kilos. Well, there's nothing like trying to wait good horses out of a race so some slow ones get an opportunity to participate, is there? Especially when you're talking about our biggest race. So do you, what, what do you think? Do you think they've penalised him too harshly with one and a half? Well, how many Melbourne Cups has he won? Uh, Incentivise? Yeah. No, he hasn't, he hasn't won any yet, but he's a wait for age group one winner. He smashed him in the Caulfield Cup and... I think part of the argument was the runner-up non-conformist isn't heading towards the Melbourne Cup. So if you take a line through Purse Ann, who is heading to the Melbourne Cup, and I think ran maybe third or fourth last year, well, incentivised beating by more than five lengths. So why does he carry in, uh, when we get out the abacus and we start to work out weight terms, why does he carry one kilo less than a horse who has won a Melbourne Cup? My thought processes through this is with all these major races, Handicaps, yes, understand all the jargon that goes with it and how we like to get the Pythagoras chart out and work out who carries what. Um, but when you, prior to winning a Melbourne Cup, it's our biggest race, our biggest race supposedly, worth $8 million. Why isn't a horse granted an opportunity to win the race prior to him being weighted out of the race? So why is he already up the top? Why does he have to get penalised to an extent of you know, a horse who's already won one. Well, the argument is that the handicap, the job of the handicapper is to try and make all 22 horses finish uh, at the exact same time and ha and have weight played the part. Now, we know that isn't, uh, isn't the case, but he does get one kilo less than Twilight Payment, who won it last year. Um, well, we'll go back to the weekend and there's 20 lengths covering. Hmm. Um, you know, it's not possible. It's not mathematically possible to get us all um, to an extent where we can all participate on an even scale because um, some of the 
hurdlers that will participate in the first Tuesday in November could would uh, be carrying nothing if we were going to weight them to a weight that they could win with. So are you are you arguing that he's weighted out of a Melbourne Cup now? No, I just think he's weighted. If the discussion's already coming up that he's at the top of the weights or he's weighted out of a race like this, I think it's getting a bit ridiculous. You know, go back in time and we've seen some of our great horses not even get an opportunity to participate because they've been weighted to the extremities. You know, it would have been fantastic to see horses like Northerly and Co get their opportunity to participate and win one. Why is our why can't our best horses compete in our best races? I don't, think, I don't think he's weighted out of it. I think one and a half kilos is potentially on the lighter side. I thought I thought they would land somewhere between one and a half and two kilos. I thought two kilos maybe um, might have been more fitting, but um, I think one and a half is just on the lighter side of what I expected him to get. Oh, he could carry 60 versus the Galazi race on the weekend and beat them. It's him versus 3,200. And then the added, uh, the added international you know, who he, who hasn't raced him yet and have the opportunity to beat him. But ultimately, if he gets 3,200 metres, he's going to beat what he raced on the weekend. Yeah. Would you agree so with that? Yeah, yeah. I don't think there's any other horse in the Caulfield Cup that's going to beat him in the Melbourne Cup if he gets the trip. So, you know, do you want to take $2.30 about him um, to beat Spanish Mission? Gold Trip's going to the Cox Plate this week and maybe... They want to back up there or they might look at a race like the McKinnon instead. Um, that horses joined Kieran Rowe and David Eustace stable. And then obviously we've got last year's winner, Twilight Payment, carrying one extra kilo. And, you know, Twilight Payment ran a good figure in last year's Melbourne Cup on the speed. Um, but it sort of sets up for incentivised to just stalk and put himself in a, a winnable, winnable position. And you know, I think Twilight Payment might have done it last year with 53 kilos or something. And, it's going to be a big ask to try and do it with 58. Race, race shape, position in running at the 800 will we uh, will tell more tales than the weight itself. Actually, Twilight Payment had 55 and a half last year, so he's two and a half kilos up on uh, on what he carried last year. And, and this year's probably a weaker field. Um, you know, Anthony Van Dyke was in the race last year. Um so that I think Anthony Van Dyke might have been the top weight. Um, Prince of Iran was in the race last year. I'm trying to figure out who was the top weight last year. Avow and Declare and Avilius were both on 57. Um, Gave the hurdles out, did they? Anthony, no, Anthony Van Dyke was 58 and a half um, in last year's cup. So he was the top weight. So we obviously don't have that. Um, that standout 58 and a half horse here. We've got um, Twilight Payment on 58 and and uh, Spanish Mission and Incentivize now on 57. So that's going to be really interesting going forward. Uh, we've got the Geelong Cup on Wednesday. Charlie Rose, who's 24th in the order of entry, looks like the one to beat at Geelong. And then um, obviously Saturday, we've got the Cox Plate. Uh, we've got Friday night, the, the Manicato as well. Busy week, busy week in football. It is a busy week. Um, so what else did you make of Incentivise, mate? Um, obviously, uh, obviously put them to the sword. Um, how would he go in a Cox Plate? We know he's not going there, but hypothetically. Well, he's maintained his... We said the issue with him. 
going into the Caulfield Cup was could he bring that plus four style profile to the 2400? Well, he's come out best of the day, five lengths above IVR benchmark. So there's nothing to say that he couldn't go to a Cox Plate and produce a figure anywhere between that plus four and plus six mark at 2000 metres. I think he would enjoy having a really true tempo in a race like a Cox Plate, which should give him his opportunity to produce a peak figure for the campaign. You know, it's not the strongest of Cox Plates, that's for sure. And there looks like there's holes in a couple. So, you know, if he was to back up in the Cox Plate next week, he'd be mighty hard to beat. He would be, um, certainly. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, plus five figure on the weekend, um, considering the conditions, pretty hard to do. It's not easy to do, to do at all. He maintained benchmark tempos on a rain-affected track. He was forced to scout really wide into the straight, which, you know, has affected his, um, he affected his benchmarking by coming that wide between the four and the two, and he still maintained that benchmark speed. So the exertion around that bend basically put pay to everything else. His drop-off wasn't until late, and he was entitled to decline, which he did, but he pretty much uh, won running away from them. He was the fastest last 200 metres in the race. So you can't really take anything away from him. Barrier 19, once again, we just continue to repeat that with good horses and good riders, it's just basically going to give you a little bit better price than what you should be. And these riders really thrive on being able to see everybody to their left-hand side. And they make smart tactical decisions. The ride was brilliant. Um, I thought... Brett's initiative to say, okay, I'm going to be the one this time. I, I'm not going to let you surge at me. We thought there might have been the big surge come at him. Obviously, Delphi led, so he wasn't going to be there and do that. And those who were most likely to have a crack at him, they weren't either A, in positions to do so, or B, really didn't have the talent to work themselves into the race. And Brett used his initiative and said, okay, if I'm going to bury the front couple, I'm going to be pretty hard to beat here. So it was a very brave ride. And I was taken by both the ride and the performance overall. I think it was one of the better Caulfield Cup wins we've seen in recent years. Without doubt. Without doubt. Um, I thought Young young Verther might have been a bit of a value each way play. Looked to have every opportunity. Um, you know, had a little mid-race squeeze, but really um, couldn't go, go with them. Um, you know, let's let's run one more hypothetical by a Hayden. Um, incentivize, pulls up Dusty. Moody says, look, the horse isn't right. We're not going to um, the Melbourne Cup. Can you make a case for a Persan, um, you know, getting back to that level or is it, you know, game over internationals? They would be a pretty disappointing group of internationals if any of these beat them. That would be my humble opinion. These aren't, they don't have the capabilities to do so. Non-conformist, I doubt he would go there and doesn't look like a 24. Uh, his 2,400 metre performance overall was good, but wasn't yeah, he's at not, that he, elite he's not level. Going there. He's not going yeah. there. He's, he wouldn't get 3,200 metres. Persound's going to get it. You can't fault the run. Puts itself into a real genuine top 10 Melbourne Cup player, you know, definitely a horse who you could throw in your multiples as a first five 
sort of player in a Melbourne Cup. I was taken by Chipata's run. I thought that was good. Uh, both great house, Montefilia, et cetera, they get pass marks. She's Ideal's run was quite good. Young Werther was a pass mark, although... Yeah. Do you, do you, forgive, some of those, you forgive some of those horses because of the conditions of the track? Like it was soft enough that um, you can forgive those who don't handle it, I suppose. You can forgive them to an extent, but there's still several runners in and around them you'd expect them to beat home. If they don't get near the winner, that's fine. But as you go down the list and pick your horses that you really want to forgive for not handling the ground or not getting the race shape they wanted, mm. you still question a couple that finished in front of them. And you're going to have to be very brave. Are those horses going to be able to turn it around in the space of a couple of weeks and be competitive in a race like a Melbourne Cup? I don't think so. Okay. Um other performances on the day at Caulfield. It was obviously a rain-affected day, but, um, you know, I think it's worth us talking about uh, Colette, who won. Uh, we obviously had a little question mark on the feet. We knew if she, uh, if her feet were right, um, she would thrive in the conditions, and she has here. Um, she goes to the Empire Rose uh, 1,600 metres on Derby Day. You know, I raised a question to a friend of mine on... Um what the Equitime footy boots were. Equicast. Yeah, and the feedback that I got was very similar to the sticky you used to put on the front of your cricket bat. Okay, yep. So that covers the foot. I think that takes any, um, um, just must be a little bit of a shock absorber style thing for the foot after it's had an abscess or something of that ilk. So definitely not like... The hoof filler, where the silicon gun comes out, etc. Yep. This is like the lowest end of the line, and the feedback I'm getting is not effective. You know, it doesn't have an effect on their overall performance, which, you know, when you look at Colette's performance on the weekend, you'd have to agree that it didn't have much effect to her. Um, unfortunately, our man Frosty, who worked his way back into a little bit of form, has copped a little bit of a time, a little bit of a holiday here. Yep. Um, got a little bit friendly with the stick, which he later on lost. So he's had the little reverse effect on John Malkovic in the last. She was excellent, wasn't she? She loomed up and put him to the sword. Uh, Nimalee touched disappointing, as was Pride of Jenny, the horse we said we wanted to watch and put our highlighter through, I thought was quite good. Steinem looked the winner on the corner until the wet track prowess, the little princess kicked in and she wheeled him in. Yep. Uh, Buffalo River got all the conditions to suit. If he couldn't win uh, on Saturday, he was probably never going to win another race. It just um, you know, a beautiful benchmark through that first section and sustained it through the mid-race. And you know, King Magnus made a, a big run. I thought that was the horse that um, could be the danger and maybe the each-way play. And, you know, it sort of panned out like that, didn't it? They were never catching him off that race shape, that tempo, that track condition. Second fastest last 1,200 of the meeting makes it very impossible for you to be caught over 14. It was a very, very well-judged front-running ride. King Magnus, he's a nice little horse, King Magnus. He's just looking yep. for some dry ground, right race. Looks like Flemington would suit him. We're going to keep our eye out for him over Cup Week. A couple of them were disappointing, and another couple there, I reckon, are heading for the rubbish bin. Zutori... 
we discussed him prior. He performed exactly the way I thought he would perform, where the 1400 wasn't his go, nor was the wet track. So has that slowed him up? Or does that top him off for Flemington? Gonna have to, the boys are going to have to put the thinking cap on how to sharpen him up because he dropped off last 400. All right, let's just quickly talk Oaks and Derby. Um, Daisy's race four broke benchmark with her win beating Glint of Hope in the ethereal. Was she an Oaks horse? Well, that was just initiative once again. D Lane back in form from an Oaks perspective. If you're breaking benchmark over 2000 as a filly, you're putting your, yeah, um, you're definitely putting your hat into the mix. Bum sandwich time for Kapalua, Sunset, and Brett. He, everywhere he zigged, they zagged. Um, that horse de definitely didn't perform up to the mark. And even when it's seen daylight, I thought it was pretty poor overall. So disappointing from that, that horse is definitely looking to rebound. But, you know, above benchmark performance from a runner like Daisy's, she looks like she'll stay the trip of the Oaks. And this, we've been on repeat, but these crop of fillies aren't much good. You really feel like the wakeful winner's going to just go on and win the Oaks that week. That's the feeling that I'm getting from this point. Yep. Would you be of the similar opinion? I think so. I think it's hard to, it's probably hard to judge on um, on this wet track form. Like if we get a firm track on Oaks Day at Flemington, well, you can nearly throw this form in the bin. Oh, I think you're being a little bit harsh there. Like she's home 24.56, 1284, last 200. Her 12.84, last 200 with the surge in the mid race, she was the one who put the move on to go to the front when they were plotting up um, on speed. She's put the move on to them. They've had to react to it. And, you know, she's within a length of anything else home last 200, doing the little bit of bullocking work herself. She's done the work from the 800 home. So I think you might be being a little bit harsh on her. I think she's going to well, put not, herself there. I'm, I'm not harsh on her, but... Um, more to my point, if we get a firm track at Flemington, it wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me if one of the horses who finished behind her turned the tables. Yeah, that's that's all, all these fillies are going to get their opportunity once they get a golden race shape for them. Did you notice the horse who finished second, who had the mm. biggest squeeze of the meeting with a 15 and a half length squeeze? Did you notice that its backside was hanging out of the open gate when they hit the go button? Yeah, apparently it lunged back and opened the gate when it its bum hit the back of the gate, it opened the gate. So that... That mightn't have helped. I know the margin was one and a half lengths, but uh, you're right, big mid-race squeeze. And, um, yeah, you don't have to do that. Um, you don't have to do that to win an Oaks. You're probably better off just having that gradual increase of speed um, through sections rather than try and unleash a big turn of foot in the mid-race and then, you know, get, get caught wanting late. Gunstock to the Derby. Again, similar sort of um, story here. Yeah, he's a benchmark horse. We made mention to him. He was the most likely of the runners. He just looked like he had that golden derby profile. It looks like he'll stay all day. Loved Caulfield. He loved the big long run home. He came home in the sort of sections, home 1298, last 400, 2496. That was the expectation of him. He'd just keep going at the one speed and away he went. And he really didn't look like he was ever going to get beaten in that race. Um, a few of those, it's... 
impossible for me to see any of those runners turn the tables on him going to a derby. But I think there's a couple of sneakies up in Sydney that are going to have a better turn of foot than this bloke. So Derby is starting to get interesting. Okay. And Oxley rode a Malkovich in the last race. Yes. Uh, Frosty, the snowman's lost his whip here. Oxley rode. Blake McDougall, smart rider, good, aggressive, hard rider. My sort of guy. Great to see him get a winner on a big day. He deserves it. He's the runner. He's a rider that I've made comment before that he needs to come here and have a go. He does. He's a smart rider, this guy. Thought his performance was very good. Malkovich was brave on speed, but Oxley always had him covered in the run. Curran probably come from an unwinnable position. Curran, third fastest last 200 of the day. Typical for him, 1188, 2310 home last 400. Second fastest last 800 of the meeting. But when you run the comparable to Oxley Road, has run the fastest last 800 of the meeting. Adds a little bit more merit to Oxley's performance overall. Good race. All right. Um, let's look at Randwick Everest Day. Geez, nature strip. Well, we probably said on the show he would be the one to beat. He was always going to be suited by that soft track. Um, but, gee, Mask Crusade has gone huge as well. You can look at your data, Hayden, and think what if from that four to the two, there was a you know, three-length slowdown picked up late, just think it gets a bit of, bit, a bit more luck there and it might have been a different story. Yeah. Uh, I don't buy into that sort of, you know, me, pretty straightforward sort of character when it comes to this stuff. Don't buy into the Mr. Starts and need a little bit of luck and all that sort of um, jargon. He's had a bludge through the first section, negative mm-hmm. 4.8. The winner plus 1.8 first section. They've gone both gone plus 6.2 through the mid. We discussed that if the burners didn't go on from an Eduardo and a nature strip could get his soft first section in that benchmark, the plus one style yeah. of range, he'd be mighty hard to beat. As soon as Eduardo said, oh, I'm not going to get up there and box with you today, mate, I'm going to sit on your tail. It was game over for Eduardo and it was big, big advantage nature strip. I really didn't feel in the run that he was ever going to be beaten. Yeah. When he got through that first section under his own steam, he's put the mid-race in here. That surge through the mids fixed most, most of them up. Um, ground conditions thrived in them. And he runs the 85th fastest last 200 metres of the day to win the fastest 1,200-metre race in Australia. Mm. Great performance. The second horse, he's just a wonderful horse to watch. And Next Gen's own T. Berry is a master when it comes to riding those horses. To maintain that level of momentum, he's copped a little slowdown between the four and the two, but that was there. That was generated over the course of the day as well. Last 200, you know, Massive. looks like he looks like he's breaking the land speed record with the last 200, but it's only the 33rd fastest of the meeting home 1166. So, you know, it's as much as them stopping as him flying, he's had the audacity to dig in and have a go. Only horse to break benchmark over the last 200 metres. Yeah. You know, he's gone through the traffic to do it. Tommy Berry's just a master. He's a really, really highly skilled rider. Uh, Eduardo, I thought, was really brave. 
Nash has um, just lent the stewards 20 after the race because he struck him a couple too many times. Lost and running, training performance of the carnival so far to get a horse who was beaten three-quarters of a length, Rowan Browning, during the week. Come <laughs> out here. You know, that's great to get that horse into the top four. Yeah. We, not so much me. You really wanted to get into him. Um, yeah, the TAB copped a reminder, D. Radcliffe style during the week. They copped a little backy. Um, classic legend. Oh, you know, I really couldn't entertain classic legend. Couldn't understand how he was favourite. I know it's always good to be the expert on the Monday. But he was only the favourite purely on last year's Everest win, wasn't he? Yeah, because, and maybe a, a, a jump out or two. Yeah, everything he'd done after that was rubbish and his trials looked plain until the last one. And I didn't even think he was the best trial in his trial. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's probably finished and run to the mark that I thought he could run to. Trekking, brave once again, and the rest of them, the moment just got to them. Yeah, G-Trail was really disappointing. Um, was under pressure through that mid-race and cracked Libertini while well, she wasn't going to handle the wet track. Home Affairs, we'll never really know what sort of talent. I think really interesting, Hayden, Home Affairs. Home Affairs copped the slowdown from the six to the four. That was like a um, something like a five and a half length slowdown and then picked up and found four lengths from the four to the two. Um, what was it, 10.78 from the four to the two, just heaps quicker than anything else in the field, but then was obviously gone after that. So, um, yeah, Bossy, Bossy rode him like a motorbike and blew him to pieces, mate. Yeah, that didn't that didn't work yeah. out well at all. Um, and then the Inferno Embrace a Wild Ruler, probably no surprise that they're in the last um, couple of horses in this field. They're just uh, class edge and... Yeah, as you said, didn't handle the occasion. All right, mate, um, think it over, consistent, 1.5 above benchmark. Just they keep placing him in the right race, don't they? Which horse was that? Sorry, I missed that first bit. Uh, think it over, race eight. I think he's won a couple in a row now. They just keep placing him in the same race. Again, really slow early section, um, but he just, you know, he just thrives with that big mid-race squeeze and he's uh, able to zip home late. Yeah, squeezes in excess of 20 lengths through the mid. They went hurdle speed early. And you could tell that from the visual that they were really crawling. Mm. Lions Raw did as he liked. He was the one who switched the mid-race on. He's really capable in all race shapes, this horse, isn't he? He's like the best B grader in Australia. That's what he feels like to me at the moment. If you put him on an A-grade event, he'll come out and just win the B crop. He's just that length to two lengths inferior to the rest, but he's, he is the best placed horse in Australia, basically. Just keeps winning. He doesn't care what you do. You ask him for a little bit of, um, you know, bulldog work, he'll get in there and do it. And then you ask him the next week to come out and break the land speed record over the last 600 metres, and he comes out and does that as well. Nash suits, great run. Um, rubbish bin, I reckon, the rest under. They're in they're in a bit of trouble, the rest underneath. Yep. Shed ambition. We keep wanting to find shared ambition and he doesn't want to find anyone else. So a little question mark on him going forward. But all these horses should bounce off that big squeeze. Second horse was good if he finds the right race. Um, Yeah. And starts to fall apart after that. You know, I think with shared ambition, I was chatting to Bray Sikolsky on Sunday and 
he just thinks the horse has, you know, that one big run for the prep and then he's done and can't can't put them together. Um, big he parade. should be here. I, I think he should come mm. to Melbourne. That's my, uh, that's my opinion on the horse. He would be better suited on the Melbourne circuit than he would be in some of these Sydney races. It's the races that he targets is always just a couple better than him. And we keep seeing the data run through the Melbourne alternative. He would be really competitive in it. Yeah. Uh, big Parade won the sprint before the um, sprint. We're seeing good horses win this uh, race um, on Everest Day and then put their hand up for the following year's Everest, but um, I'm not sure he's going to be, be able to go to another level and mix it with these next next year. No, he's definitely not an Everest horse, but boy, gee, he's a good little second-rate sprinter. Mm. Second-rate sprinter, that's been very nasty. He's a good second tier he's just under that top crop yeah and you always go and have a look at this race on everest day and say seventh best of the day 2.8 lengths above benchmark the inferno wild ruler they would have had a party here yeah but instead they go and run last in the feature and every year you can see the runner that you say, well, you know, you've let three quarts of a million dollars disappear from your bank account 45 minutes earlier. Yeah. He's no Pierrata though, this horse, is he? Nope. Pierrata was the one um, that I think 2018 won the Sydney Stakes. Might have even clocked faster time than Red Zell the same year that Red Zell won um, the Everest. And then... Um, yeah, Pirata was a good horse. Went on and uh, ran second in a Galaxy and uh, fifth in a TJ, won an all-aged and won the shorts and I think ran fifth in the Everest behind Yes, Yes, Yes the following year. Oh, yeah, this horse wouldn't blow smoke up uh, Pirata's proverbial, mate. No, no. In all honesty, he would just be the perfect lead-out horse for him. Yeah. Um, warning? Could warning make any sort of impression in a Melbourne Cup? Comes through very different form lines. No, he's the B grader. He's yep. races for him, Sydney Cups, Metropolitans, mm -hmm. Adelaide Cups. He could go around on that circuit and be ultra competitive. Melbourne Cup, no, nah, he just, not to me. He's a, okay. This was a better run from him, though. And it was a much better run than what I was expecting. I was taken by him and I was taken by the second horse, Lunchies. Both good performances Stays with the future, just not in that Melbourne Cup zone. All right. Um, now let's have a quick look at this week's Cox Plate. I know you don't like looking too far ahead, but I'm going to give you 10 horses that are guaranteed to start, and then I'm going to ask you whether um, these two or three uh, deserve a start um, because it's going to come down to the committee to decide um, whether they actually want a capacity field in the Cox Plate or not. So... Going to have Zaki, going to have Very Elegant. Animo goes there. Cap Devont, second in the Guineas. He'll go there too. So we'll have two lightweight three-year-olds at least. Probabil goes there with Mwanga. Kiwi Horse, call sign, I think, has won uh, his last two or three in New Zealand at Group 1 level. We've got the two internationals, Gold Trip and State of Rest. And the 10th horse um, that will get a start is Dallasan. Uh, so a couple of question marks here, Hayden. Can you 
would you, if you're on the committee, would you give KI Nautique a start? Group one winner in Japan. Well, how many, how many horses can we put in here? Well, there's four more spots, but you yep. don't have to, you don't have to have a capacity field in a Cox Plate. We'll put them in. You'd put KI Nautique in? What is he on the um, abacus ratings? He'd be he higher than a hundred rater. Well, yeah, I think I think the feeling is that he his form isn't good enough. But um, he was actually in a race behind Think It Over last start, and again they went something like minus eighteen through the first section, and they've had twenty length mid race squeeze, and that's not the sort of uh, style that a Japanese runner like Ki Nautique would be used to. And I think last. Last year, he was running, you know, a couple of lengths off arm and eye. We'll put him in. I'd put There's, him in um, as well. I, I don't see a reason. Unless someone's bringing a camel there and you can say, excuse me, not only would you not <laughs> warrant being in the Cox Plate, but you shouldn't even be at Mooney Valley. Yeah. Then if people are bringing horses with the abacus rating to determine that they've got, they warrant being there, we'll put them in. Yeah, I'd put him in. Um, where do you sit on Forgot You? Won the Stutt Stakes and I think maybe finished, you know, fifth or sixth in the Guineas. Yeah, well, he's got a 3.1 links above IVR benchmark to his name from his previous. So in you go. You'd put him in. All right. Uh, what about Elephant? Uh, elephants, like you could have a thousand to one elephant, but if they want to run, run. So you don't you don't mind just chucking in these um, four well, tier horses? You've got a field limit of fourteen, so you've set the precedence that you'll allow fourteen horses to run. Uh, but we've had fields of seven and eight before. Yeah, well, the top fourteen deserve an opportunity, don't they? Well, that the that's that that's what makes the Cox Plate different. The Cox Plate is up to the committee's discretion, so it's it's meant to be a race the best of the best. Well, they they've asked, they've put in the request for fourteen horses. There's fourteen so, spots. So there's fourteen there's positions. Fourteen barriers. So fill them up. Fill the fourteen barriers up with the fourteen horses that have been nominated and paid up and whatever they've done to be there, and then the club and we can get those sandwiches out in the morning and everyone can have a tea and sit around and have a little bit of banter. And then we say, okay, these are the horses that we would like to run. Because unless you're going to pull out a professional way of measuring, you're only determining off opinion. So if you're going to determine off opinion, let them run because we wouldn't have had horses like um, the grey horse... Your Seamus Award 100% wouldn't have got a run. We wouldn't have had the grey horse who won the Melbourne Cup. He's paid $1,000 the win, coming off a of Mooney Valley second. You're never leaving the option open for the miracle. So, you know, these people race horses all day, every day. And if they get a horse that they think warrants a position, they nominate, they... Um, pay up their acceptance, they follow the prompts, and if their horse is good enough to get in the first 14 horses, in you go. Yep. Yeah, well, I'd certainly have KI Nautique there. I'm not sure about Elephant, but um, 
difference of opinion there. Have you got an early feeling, Zaki versus Animo versus um, one of the internationals, State Arrest or Gold Trip? Well, a few people today wanted to say kilo and a half. Well, that's equal to length and a half because it's over 3,200 is worth two and a half. But he's better than these ones, so it's only worth one and a half times pi divided by 63. <laughs> Do the same measurement. Now, far does Animo win by? Well, he, yeah. He's well, going to yeah. win by somewhere on the weight scale here. He's going to win by somewhere between 13 and 14 lengths. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, if, you, if, you want to, if you want to calculate it like that, I get where you're coming from. So to me, oh, it's going to be a great race. I really can't wait to put all the numbers together and put the nerd hat on and the glasses and get out the, you know, the old calculator with the, get it out, rip into it. Because this is what racing's made of. Favorite race of the year. The gloves come on. Yeah, well, I've got two tickets at the moment. Fifty to one um, state of rest each way. He's about ten to one at the moment. And I uh, took nine dollars a place on Captivant, the three-year-old who ran second in the Guineas. So a um, couple of early tickets. Beautiful. You can't go wrong with that, can you? You got to no, be happy with that. Sorry. No, I, I don't think, think so. I... Those big odd ones. I'm not taking. Um, Zaki at four dollars or whatever, like some people might have, and good, good on you. You can jump on the bet, jump on Betfair and lame at two dollars fifty if you want. That'll be uh, that'll be exciting for most people. I think in bigger news, <laughs> I think in bigger news this week, you getting grandstanded by Bernard from FlatEarth.com <laughs> was just fantastic, wasn't it? Let's pass on that. Let's pass on that. I think no some, comment. Some animal animal activist wasn't um, happy with how I. Worded the passing of um, Sir Dragon A. It's uh, a bit ordinary, though, you get grandstanded by another journalist. That's pretty cheap. You know. Is he a journalist? Opinion. He's a journalist for flatearth.com. Oh, is he? I didn't yeah, know. He's a, he's a journalist, author, with 773,000 Twitter followers. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's move on, mate. Um, Good to chat. Um, we'll try and tee up a, a guest. Get your thinking cap on. We'll try and get a guest this week before Cox Plate Day. I'm going to leave you with one. Mm. A thought of the day. Friends is a better show than Seinfeld. And Seinfeld's not funny. Mm. That's my thought of the day. I'll let um, those watchers at home stew over that and they can decide whether Hayden's right or wrong. Catch you later, mate. Hey, Ray.